Scourge, Euodia, and Syntyche. Uh, and then I ask you all to help them. He was calling these two women to walk in unity, to be like-minded, to live in harmony. And, and he wanted them, he wanted the rest of the church to help them. He called them out. There's really not a nice way to say it. We don't know what these two women were divided over, right? But we're women. We can imagine. I'm going to be very honest with you about something. I am a strong-willed woman. It's my husband's fault. I was not that way when he married me. I like to have things done my way. I have a vision. I want things to go down the way that I see them going down. And there are times if I'm not really intentional, I can take over. And I shouldn't take over, and yet I do take over. And I remember learning a really valuable lesson one day, and it starts with this sentence, my husband was helping me clean. I should have been joyful, right? But he was doing it wrong. He was cleaning in the wrong order. And I was so frazzled and frustrated, like my brain was short-circuiting, trying to figure out how to explain to this man that you don't sweep first. Thank you. And, he, and I didn't know how to figure it out. I'm like, how am I to do this? He needs, he's not doing it my way. And I was so frustrated. And I don't even know, I don't even know how it came about. I can't even explain to you how it ever dawned on me that the house is going to get clean, right? I mean, what is the end result? What do I want? I want a clean house. Why? Probably because somebody was on their way over. I don't want to have to do it by myself. What, ma- what does it matter? What order it happens in? And that day it mattered to me, but I did not speak it. And later I thought how much joy it would have brought Satan. Like, can you just see the smug look on his face as I was arguing with my husband or wanting to argue with him over something so silly as which order to clean the house in? And I don't want him to have that foothold in my home. I don't want him to have that foothold in my brain. I don't want him to have that foothold with my sisters. There are days that Satan doesn't even have to work hard. We make it really easy for him. I don't know if that's what these two women were arguing over. I've known a lot of strong-willed women in my life that wanted things done a particular way and couldn't see that the job would get done. It didn't really matter how it got done. The job got done, and sometimes that's really hard for us. There are other options. I don't know what your struggles are. I'm only speaking for my own, but I, I also know the struggle that comes from the feeling of inagu- inadequacy when someone else is really, really good at something, and I'm not. And the jealousy that can creep in from that, and the resentment that can creep in from that, and the unhealthy comparisons, and the unhealthy competitions that plague the sisterhood. And I, and I wish I could explain why. Like I wish I understood why it's so hard to feel that way. For example, my husband's mother is an amazing cook. Y'all, she's really good. Really good. I am not. When we have family dinners, I bring beverages. 
store-bought cakes. Y'all, it's not my gift. I have a sister-in-law, a really good cook. And that can lead to a lot of resentment, a lot of insecurity. It's not my gig. I can't sew. I want to want to love it. I don't. But I once really tried. Not because it was something I wanted to do, but it was because I felt like it was something I had to do in order to prove that I was worthy of being accepted and loved. And that is just not reality. But how quickly Satan can creep in because someone is so good at something and I'm not. And I don't want to give him that foothold. How does that affect the church? In lots of ways, right? Like, either I don't want to do the work because I feel so inadequate, or I want to take over the work. Paul, here's what I, here's what I love about Paul. He shared from a place of total understanding. He was in prison, right? He wrote Philippians from prison. He was in prison for preaching Jesus. It's not like he did anything wrong, but he was preaching Jesus. While he was stuck in prison, other men are going around and they're teaching about, about Christ and they're doing completely the wrong motives. Uh, and, and, and we read about it in chapter 1, verses 15 through 18. Some, to be sure, are preaching Christ even from envy and strife, but some also from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I'm appointed for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition rather than from pure motives thinking to cause me distress in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed. In this I rejoice. Paul got it. He understood. He had, Paul had one mission in his life, right? He just wanted Jesus to be known. And they were doing it all wrong. And he didn't care. I would have cared. I would have gotten mad. I would have wanted them discredited. I would have wanted them called out for what they were doing. And Paul said, that's not how we do this. In Philippians 2, 3, and 4, he says, do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit. The, again, we've talked about a lot of words, I know, right? Another one I can't pronounce. But the original Greek word means strife or contentiousness, rivalry, an exaggerated view of one's self-worth, vanity, or excessive ambition. He wasn't just talking about people who were self-centered. He was talking about someone who's jealous and continually competing with others to feel important. Unhealthy rivalries. Division that wreaks havoc on the church and on the Lord's work. Euodia and Syntyche, who were not united. We know it can do a lot of damage. We may have seen some of the damage. We may have been part of some of the damage. We may have caused some of it. We may have been hurt by some of it. How do we get to Paul's mindset of, it doesn't matter how it gets done, it only matters that it gets done. I'm going to try this visual. We're going to see how it works. The devil would like nothing more than to divide us, right? We talked about how John Donne said, I am an island, or no man is an island, right? 
We know the passage in Ecclesiastes that says um, a, a, a cord of three is, is mm, I should have written that one down, is um, not easily broken, okay? Every, every woman in this room has talents. We talked about this in our, in our small groups that we did earlier. We all have our talents. Some of us probably feel like our talents aren't important. I can do some things on my own. I want to show you how much more I can do when I'm walking in unity with someone. You have some amazing sisters in this congregation, and I wish so badly that I could pull each one of you up here to do this. And we can't do it, both for time's sake and because I don't know all of you, but I need you to trust me that every talent you have is important. Just like every part of your body is important. Your fingernails serve a purpose. Your hair follicles serve a purpose. Your spleen serves a purpose. Nobody knows what it is, but God does. We all serve a purpose. There's a lady sitting amongst you who has a gift, a gift of hospitality. Miss Celia, I need you to come join me for a minute. It takes a gift to welcome people in your home and make them feel so comfortable that they feel like they're in their own home, that they know it's okay to open a cabinet and look for a glass. That is a talent. It's a talent to say, here's the coffee. Come in, here's the coffee. It's a talent to say, hey, do you want to make the eggs today? I would love to make the eggs today. Like, this is a talent, right? I can't, come here, you have to keep coming. I there are. That's okay. You're going to do this today. Okay. So, Miss Celia has this amazing gift, right? Do I have to do all this by myself? No. Okay. There's a lady here. Her name is Catherine. She's a quilter. Right? Catherine? Yes. Come on. She makes beautiful quilts. Okay. What did I tell you a minute ago? I can't sew. I want to want to love it. I don't. So if I need something sewn, do I have to be able to do it? No. There's an incredible lady in here, and I'm not even going to make her come up because she's still back there taking pictures, but her name is Stephanie. And she serves by giving us memories and photos. Carrie, come on. Y'all, I can't carry a tune in a bucket with a lid on it. So when I, when somebody says we need a song leader, don't look at me. I am not your option. There's a lady in here whose name is Jackie. I haven't met Jackie yet, I don't think. Is Jackie here? Jackie crochets. Jackie, are you here? Jackie's not here. I'm reading my notes. What does that say? Patty! Sorry, that was really loud. Patty has a garden? Where's Miss Patty? Is that true? Do you have a garden? Come on! Come on! I killed three poinsettias one Christmas. All in the same season of Christmas. So if I need somebody who knows about gardening, do I have to do it on my own? No, I'm calling Miss Patty. 
I've got one more. Rachel. Rachel. Does that say Rachel Elmore? Where is Rachel Elmore? Come on, Rachel Elmore. Rachel Elmore, I understand, is a decorator like no other. She dumpster dives for treasure. My house is put together where things fit. It makes no sense. I can't explain to my husband why there shouldn't be a different wall paint color in every room. I want one color in the whole house. He wants culture shock when you walk from one room to the next. (laughs) Y'all, on my own, I cannot fight Satan. I cannot do all of the Lord's work. But look what I can do when I walk with my sisters. I'm fairly certain that the women you see in front of you do not agree on everything. They have different ideas about raising children. They have different ideas about whether you should sweep or vacuum first. They have different ideas about how to cook, how to can, how to quilt, what colors look good together and what colors don't. But you know what? The end result is the same. We serve together so that God is glorified. Not us but God. And when God's work needs to be done, I want to work with a team. I don't want to work on my own. That is stressful. I want to be able to call Miss Celia and say, hey, there's a family coming to town. And I want her, because what is she going to say? Bring it. I'm ready. I want to be able to call Carrie and say, Carrie, we need to worship with our voices. And Carrie say, got it. If I had to do that, I'd be physically sick. I would be ill from stress because God did not call me to lead singing. He did not call me to quilt. And every single woman, I, I wish I could sit and visit with every one of you because each one of you has a gift that is so incredibly valuable to the Lord's work, to your sisters, the ladies who put together this event. It took every single one of them. Join them. Walk with them. Say to them, how can I help? I want to be a part of the team. I don't want to do this alone. It's too hard. You don't have to agree on everything. Just have to be after the same outcome. Thank you all for tolerating me for that. Bless their hearts. They didn't know they were coming up here to do that. Okay. Satan wants to divide us, but man, when we link arms and walk together, it is so, so incredibly hard for him to break through. It's like the old children's game that you're not allowed to play anymore because somebody might get hurt. Red Rover, Red Rover, right? It's like that. And just like we talked about earlier, Paul knew he, he, what his mission was, and he wasn't going to worry about other people's missions. If he was going to live, he was going to keep preaching Jesus, and he was going to do that with his own motives. And what they did was between them and God. Our circumstances are opportunities. Paul was in prison. He could have sat there bemoaning. He could have been so depressed and he could have thought, woe is me. I'm in prison. What can I do? All I wanted to do was go preach the gospel. God God brought all the people to him. I mean, do you know that, that he was being guarded by the praetorian God? There were thousands of soldiers that he was exposed to all the time. What did he do? Let me tell you about my Jesus. 
You got a minute? Come here, I'll tell you about Jesus. His circumstances were opportunities. And he used that. Your circumstances are opportunities. It can be so easy to think, well, I don't have a big platform. Okay. Why do we know the names of Lois and Eunice? Because they taught Timothy. Not everybody has a big platform, and we have no idea what ripples. Joshua didn't know when he sat down next to this little girl, Hannah, at school one day who was having a hard day, and said to her, hey, can I pray for you about that? Hey, have you talked to Jesus about that? He didn't know she was going to become a Christian. He didn't know that, you know, who knows what she'll do with that. Our circumstances are the opportunities that God puts in front of us, and we have to use those. Paul was the first person to do what I like to call drafting. My husband does not like this analogy at all. I am not a NASCAR fan, so let me try to explain this to you. But I do run sometimes. Do you know in NASCAR, have you ever watched a NASCAR race? It doesn't make any sense to me. It looks super boring. They just go round and round and round. I don't get it. But one car will tuck in behind another. Have you ever noticed that? And they drive like this far apart. It's called drafting. And they say that they, that they can save fuel, that they can save wear and tear, and so, which, you know, every, every ounce of fuel is very important because it's how often you have to stop and, that, and get refueled or, or how much wear and tear you have on your tires. We're called to do this as Christians. Like runners do the same thing. They, it's mental. It's more mental than it is physical, but they'll tuck in behind another runner to save on wind resistance. Because if you're not running right into the wind, you're, you're saving energy, right? But it's also mentally saving is what they say. I haven't really experienced drafting that way and running, but they say that it is helpful. What it does is it gives you strength, okay? So we're, we're called to encourage one another. We're called to help one another. When my husband, when my husband and I found the group while we're waiting... I didn't even understand this idea of drafting, but we showed up at our first retreat, okay? We walk into this building knowing no one. We are total strangers. We have driven three and a half hours away, and we're going to talk to total strangers about the absolute worst thing that ever happened to us. Sounds crazy. But we were all on the same journey, and we met a couple who were 36 years ahead of us. We met a couple who was seven years ahead of us. We met a couple who was six years ahead of us. They were laughing. They were talking. They were praising God. They had found reasons to live and to live well, and they let us tuck in behind them. They let us slide in and gain strength. We listened to them pray. We listened to them talk about God and all of the things that he had taught, that he had taught them on this journey. We listened to them read scripture. Like, we were too tired to do it on our own. We couldn't. We didn't know how we were going to make another day. We almost turned around and drove home. Like, we weren't even sure we wanted to go. But we slid in behind them, and we listened, and we watched. And in all of that, we found strength. We found comfort. They knew what we were going through. And look at what they were doing. They were praising God. I think Paul was the first drafter. I call him my first drafter. He said, imitate me like I imitate Jesus. He said, encourage one another. Whatever your journey is, your circumstances are opportunities for people to slide in behind you 
to rest, to get out of the wind, the onslaught of whatever is coming at them. And then one day they're going to be strong and they're going to come out and they're going to run with you. And God's going to use them and someone's going to tuck in behind them. And they're going to provide that encouragement and that comfort and that safety and that prayer. And they're going to be strengthened and they're going to come out. And, some, and God's going to provide somebody to tuck in behind them. And you see what you get? You get this long line of Christians that are united, that are linking arms together, that are serving for God's glory. What better way to walk this earth? And that's the beauty of what happens when we walk in truth. We walk in unity. Like-minded. Not agreeing on everything. Because goodness knows my husband and I don't agree on everything. I love that man to the moon and back. But he still doesn't clean in the right order. And it's okay. Like We don't have to. Did, I don't know. Did you guys have a discussion about the color of the chairs before they got purchased? Because I know that happens in churches. They split over the color of the chairs, the color of the carpet, where the building's located. All kinds of things that make no sense. We don't have to agree on everything to walk together. I have um, a passage for us to read in Hebrews. And I didn't mark it. Chapter 6. We're going to read verses 9 through 12. But beloved, don't you love that word, beloved? You're beloved. But beloved, we are convinced of better things concerning you and things that accompany salvation, though we are speaking in this way. For God is not unjust so as to forget your work and the love which you have shown toward his name in having ministered and in still ministering to the saints. And we desire that each one of you show the same diligence so as to realize the full assurance of hope until the end so that you will not be sluggish, but imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. Revelation twelve eleven. they overcame him by the blood of the lamb and the word of their testimony. Everybody has a testimony. And when we share that, we bring someone else hope and we bring them encouragement and we give them that thread to hang on to so that they can keep walking forward. Forgetting what is behind and pressing on towards the goal. Practical steps. I'm all about practical steps. I like... I like things that are tangible. The uh, moving forward with grief book is, is ta- I, I don't, I, I shouldn't say this out loud in a church building, and yet here we go. I know the power of prayer. And sometimes I want to do something else too. And so I like the tangible steps, the things that I can hold on to, the things I can put on my to-do list, the things that I can strive towards. So I want to talk about some of the practical steps. We talked about the war. We talked about how we're equipped. We talked about what it looks like, beauty of walking together in unity. How do we do that? I'm convinced that when we know the truth, that when we're striving for truth, a byproduct of that is unity. I mean, I hear people take, say all the time, well, we just need to be like-minded. The church needs to walk in unity. I, I'm not sure that it, it's something that you, you do. I think it's the byproduct of something that you're doing. Does that make sense? 
Like, I think we can strive for unity, but I think when we walk in the truth, the result of that is unity. So, step one. Confront your brutal reality. Whatever it is. Where's your heart? Is it focused on eternity? Is it focused on earth? Or, or is it full of anxiety? Is it full of stress? Is it full of depression? Also, this is a side note that's not even in here. Did you know that if you take the, the letters from the word depression and rearrange them, you get I pressed on? Mm-hmm. I don't know what lies are seeping in here and trying to take root here. Write them down. I know a mom. We met a mom at a retreat. She was struggling. She was seeped in, in Satan's lies. And finally she got out a piece of paper and she wrote them all down. And then she went in search of a scripture to refute every one of them. So then when Satan whispered this, she said, no, this. And I thought it was incredibly powerful. Write them down. Get out, get out your sword. Buckle on that belt of truth. Cinch it tight. Step two, think on these things. I told you that we we put our grief dates on the calendar, and that sounds really depressing, but understand we need to grieve. The Bible doesn't say we don't grieve. It says we don't grieve like those without hope. So we do. We sit in it. We miss Joshua. We miss the things that we thought we were going to have. We acknowledge that. We don't try to hide it. We don't try to just ignore it. It's there. If we don't tackle it head on, it's going to take us head on. Think on those things. Pull out those truths and sit in them. Wrap them like a blanket around you and hold on to them. And let your brain marinate and simmer and stew and let it soak in. I love we were talking about how water pure how water is purified running water is purified by going over rocks we talked about this in our group and when we are constantly bombarding our mind with those good thoughts that's what it does it purifies our minds and our hearts we have to reject the things that do not draw us closer to god if it doesn't bring us closer to god we don't need it we just have to toss it we have to let it go we don't have to be perfect at it We just have to get up and keep striving. Think about it. David, think of all of David's sins that he acknowledges very well in Psalms. And yet he was called a man after God's own heart, not because he was perfect. Every day he strove to follow God. Step three. Consider the company that you keep. Philippians 3, 17 through 19 tells us... uh, bad company corrupts good character I think it matters it matters that we spend time with the body it matters that we spend time with those who are going to point us back to Jesus my friends that I told you about who started the while we're waiting group they'd actually gone to a support group and it was the most depressing thing that they had ever that they'd ever been to they strive to point people back to Jesus. They say, if you ever walk away from one of our support group meetings feeling worse than when you got here, we are doing it wrong. It's so important. The people that, that we surround ourselves with, they feed us. They feed our brains, our minds, and that seeps into our hearts. We have to be with non-Christians. I'm not talking about when it's time to reach out and, and, and give the gospel to people. I'm not talking about evangelizing. But I'm talking as a body of believers, we have to be together. We have to spend time together. We have to know one another. 
And then there's step 3A. Because it really wasn't separate. It kind of goes along with 3. Consider the company that you are. Do you point people back to Jesus? Do you point them back to truth? Do you want to be the ones that... You have friends, I know you do, that when you sit with them, you feel like you have just sat in treasure. Do you know what I'm talking about? Like you walk away feeling so overwhelmed with beauty and loveliness and gratitude. Do you know the people I'm talking about? The ones that make you feel so incredibly wonderful and loved and valuable. Be that friend. Step four. It's actually the last one. Live in victory. You know the truth. Live the truth. We know that we're going to heaven. We know what's going to happen when we get out of here. Are we living like it? Like the things here, this is all going away. It's part of probably part of the reason I'm not as sentimental as I used to, as I used to be, because all of this is going to go. It's not going to be here anymore. I have memories. I have beautiful memories of wonderful things, but things have zero value. When we know the truth and we live it out with those around us, it's a thing of beauty. It's like a sweet aroma to the Lord. It's the unity that comes from the mindset that allows the church to shine like stars in the universe from Philippians 2.15. A body of believers that are beautiful, not because they're perfect, but because of what they're striving to do together. We talked about the fruit of righteousness, the result of that, what people see in the community and how they benefit and how they're blessed from that. It just ripples. I told you about that smug look on Satan's face that day that I really wanted my husband to get it and wanted him to do it my way. I really want to wipe that look off Satan's face. I don't want to give him the satisfaction. Philippians 3.1 Finally, my brothers sisters. Rejoice in the Lord. It is no trouble for me to write the same things to you again, and it is a safeguard to you. What do you mean a safeguard? When this is our life, how much better do we understand why Paul was able to rejoice? All of his reasons for rejoicing centered around a unified focus on the gospel. How difficult is it for Satan to infiltrate a congregation that is so focused on the gospel, serving in unity, serving with humility? There is no better safeguard. We can be certain of two things. Either we'll live this earth and we'll be given opportunities to serve, or God will call us home. Either way, the victory is ours. And it's ours because of his truth, not because of anything we've done or earned or deserve, but because of who God is, what he has done for us. My sweet sisters in Anchorage, I will thank God every time I remember you and all of my prayers for you I will always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel, knowing that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion 
until the day that Christ returns and calls us home. My mic wasn't on yet anyway. You're good. <laughs> All right, ladies, let's sing. I still have joy. I still have joy.